0: Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He is T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, how we doing this week?
1: Doing all right. Uh, we got the NFL Combine coming up, which is basically Christmas Part 2 for me, where we get to see all the athletes run and jump and be um, mathematically excellent. Um, I'm not a huge math person, but I love numbers and I love playing Madden, so this is one of my favorite weeks of the year.
0: Well, we're in the middle of that, that off-season kind of quiet period, so just to have some news is a good thing. The Combine provides us with lots of news. Penn State well-represented with 10 players there, so there'll be a lot of players to talk about uh, in, in, in the coming week. So let's preview it. Let's talk Combine. But before we get started with the individual players, uh, let me just ask you about Penn State in general. I get the feeling over, the, at least over the James Franklin era, Penn State players have shown very well at the Combine. Some of them surprisingly so. How much of that do you attribute to their strength and conditioning? How much of it is just they bring in really good athletes?
1: So I think that the, you don't want to take anything away from the process. Um, and, and that is... They do a very good job of of producing athletes that test well at the combine. Um, They don't focus on size, they focus on athleticism. So when they recruit these players, they look at these metrics and try and project uh, based on how they perform in high school what they will eventually be because these are the markers. The reason the NFL tests for these things is this is um, over the last 40 years of football. These are the metrics that they have found that have been stable or that they like that project to. Um, standout football players on the next level. It's not a guarantee, but it is something that these are the indicators of you're going to be athletic enough to play in the NFL. So Penn State mirrors those things, I think, in their recruiting process. But at the same time, they have to develop the players in those things. So it is both of those. They start with very good products that are designed. And this is gross saying people, products, and all those things. But you get what I mean. Um, uh, The base that they're working with with these athletes is is of the standard that will do well at the Combine, but also they train them very well during that process.
0: So it's a combination. You got to start with some talent, but then uh, to develop it would be great too. All right, let's start talking about some of the individual players. Let's start at the very top with fashanu. He could have come out a year ago, T. Frank, and conceivably been a top 10 pick then. He's now... He's ranked as one of the top two tackles. You see, is it Joe All from Notre Dame is also yep. uh, rated very highly. But it's no. It seems like a no doubter uh, fashion who's going to go very high.
1: Yeah. So he doesn't have to do anything at the combine. That's the thing with being a top ten pick is there's no question that he's good at football. It's a. It's going to be in the details and part of the conversation around Olu has been. Uh, he's been slipping on draft boards and this is the public draft board, not individual GMs and scouts and things like that. And the reason is it's easier to see on a cursory look fashion pass protection, which is his strength. And somebody called him, uh, the best pass protector in the last 10 years, somebody who's been doing this for the last 10 years. So that's a really great place to start but when you dig into the minutia of the run game there are issues um and this is something we talked about at bluewhiteillustrated.com for the last 2 years when he was going to be a top 10 pick last year and i said well just wait until they look at the run game film because they clearly haven't yet and then there'll be a conversation and that conversation just happened from january into february so um, that's really kind of the conversation between him and Alt. Alt is good at everything right now, but maybe isn't athletically as gifted of a pass protector as Fashinu. They're both going to be very good offensive linemen in the NFL, but the question is: Is Fashinu going to be better as a pass protector, and can he get there in the run game? Um, and one of the dr- I just picked out over at dot I picked out one drill for each player that I would be interested to learn about or that would give some illumination into their abilities and for olu i picked the three cone drill because one of the things that i've noticed of him over the years is he has a very high stance for an offensive lineman he doesn't get that really low pad level to drive block and, you know he's six six but he's very tall in the legs and it's something that chuck Losi talked about last summer um if you want to go read about that i, I got his quotes from last june to talk about how his flexibility has always been a thing with olu that he's been working on so this would put a number to that you know it, there's no perfect metric for everything but it's a good facsimile of how do you turn and move in uh, a non-linear fashion so a three-cone drill you have to weave your way through the the cones some tight turns the ability to uh sink your hips and move and that's an area that i think fashinu I'm curious to learn some of the things on his tape of struggling to latch on the linebackers at the second level. Is that a flexibility thing or is that a technique thing? His ability to root out defensive linemen and to get underneath the pad level and to generate that power, you know, is that the root of it or is it something that is correctable when you, again, when you look at um, the technique and things like that in the run game. So that, that was the, the three cone drill. If he has, if he does anything, I'd be curious about that. But I bet you if he doesn't do it, it's because he's not good at it. If you're that
0: high a pick, you can pick and choose what you want to do there. It might be uh, in his best interest to avoid that one. Gotcha. All right. Let's go to um, let's go to Kalen King. Kind of an interesting example here. I was and I think a lot of people really high on him after the 22 season. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure the 20 three season he was the same level player and he also I'm not sure if he's done anything postseason uh to alleviate those doubts T Frank
1: yeah so um this is an interesting conversation that goes back to twenty twenty two uh talking about Joey Porter Jr. and which we had a conversation when Kalen King was on absolute fire. Which one of these two is the better NFL prospect? And people were saying that Kalen King has better instincts at the position. He might not have X, Y, and Z, but he's a great cornerback. And the the thing is, and and the conversation point I had is, you don't get arm length like Joey Porter Jr. Like the NFL is going to value size, length and speed, and if you are a little grabby or whatever, there's going to be a team that's going to decide that we can take you and we can build on those things and teach you, and lo and behold, the Steelers who love to take height, weight, speed projects and think they're going to fix all their problems, which is a story for another day, um, they took him, and he was very good. Kalen King, those instincts, the positional soft skills of understanding leverage and understanding route concepts and playing in the hip pocket in phase with receivers and triggering downhill in the run game, He has to show those things and be bulletproof in those. And his instincts to me are what took a step back last year, focus, mentality, whatever it is. Um, You know, there are some subtle things that were different where he was given some harder tasks last year, but um, I got the sense talking to him, this is my interpretation, that he said in the offseason he really went into the film and and did a deep dive and trying to learn offenses and trying to be better prepared for what's coming at him. And sometimes when you do that, you learn too much, and then you stop playing with instinct. And to me, that's what I saw last year. So that's entirely correctable, but what is not correctable is he's 5'11", he's 30-inch arms, and he might not run a fast 40. So at the Combine, run a fast 40, and people will see that 2022 tape and go, okay, This is a dude who can play in the NFL. We'll take him on day two, whenever that might be, because we see the, somebody's going to be lower on him and we can get a steal here. And I think that's where Kalen King is living right now, as far as he's going to be a second or third round pick. That's an NFL starter. That might not be a complete prospect that does everything, but he's going to fit into a system and be very good. And, and those things, you can't take away that he was good in 22 and he did all those things. We know he's capable of that. It's about reproducing that.
0: I would think he's the type of player where the combine is especially important.
1: Yeah. He's got to do all the things well. So he's got to test well in all of these areas from it's the vertical leap to the broad jump to the shuttle drill. But I mean, for corners, there's nothing that boosts your draft stock more than the 40 time because you've of the, of the positions where it makes the most sense there's going to be a time where there's going to be a track meet where it's a receiver running in a straight route down the field. And you've got to be able to keep up with him. So a 40 yard dash is pretty applicable to go routes in the NFL. I understand that, you know, the line of scrimmage and et cetera, there's, it's not a one-to-one, but you do have to be able to run fast at corner. And that's an area where if you're playing on the outside, linear speed is better and, and more important because you, you maybe you can be protected a little bit in certain schemes where you don't have to turn and run with somebody in every direction.
0: All right, let's move on to Chop Robinson. Now, I'm a lay person as far as these scouting things go, but watching him game to game to game, I thought this looks like a first-round draft pick to me, no doubt. And when I would focus on him when watching a game, it seems like he would beat his uh, opponent one-on-one just about every, every down. But I'm seeing quite a variance in where he's going to be picked. What are you seeing with Chop Robinson, T, Frank?
1: I mean, it's all about size, which I I have a hard time with this because you see him play against NFL tackles in the Big Ten and play well. So it it is about being 6'3", 250 but it's also about arm length. And from what I understand, like I'm expecting him to come under sub 33, but not by a lot. So here's a guy who is just on the cusp of NFL defensive end size. Some guys are going to see him as a hybrid. Some, uh, you know, uh, systems will have him off the board because he doesn't have 30 inch, 33 inch arms, and he's not six, five and all the, all the physical metrics that, uh, go into, prototyping defensive ends that go in the first round. There's a reason that Adafi always went in the first round, even though he didn't have the production numbers either. But to me, the way that Chop Robinson erases all of that is to have a good 10-yard split. So in the 40-yard dash, they they time the full time and then the first 10 yards. How quickly do you get off the blocks? And Robinson should have a good time, but in order to solidify the tape, which, I mean, hell, he's unblockable most of the time, He needs to have a top of the combine, possibly historic 10 yard split to get in the first round. So um, something in the 1.5 area at 250 pounds, 255, whatever he comes in, that's an area where he has to be explosive and show those on on tape that are, uh, you know, on the metrics that he is a difference maker off the edge from an explosive standpoint because he uses a lot of speed power and having more speed generates more momentum and power at the point of contact.
0: You know, T. Frank, I thought the most important thing you said there was the production. We And watching him game after game, I think if he falls in the draft because of some of those physical attributes, I think someone's going to end up being really happy with him. And again, that's me as a layperson but watching every one of his games, every one of his snaps. All right, T. Frank, that's it for quarter number one. We still got a lot of players to talk about. We'll pick this up in quarter number two. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number two. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. We are talking about the Combine and the Penn State players that are there. T. Frank, they've got ten players at Combine. And as is typical for you and I, we if we're going to do two segments of this, we should get done with five and five. And, of course, in the first segment, how many did we do? We did three players, so that's pretty typical for us. Let's move on maybe a little that's more fair. efficiently. We'll try. Anyway, let's talk about the other defensive end. We talked Chop Robinson as we ended segment number one. Let's talk about Adisa Isaac. Now, he's a guy I feel like he goes under the radar a little bit, at least during the season it happened, and I think he was overshadowed by Chop Robinson. But he's a guy who went to one of the postseason games and apparently looked pretty good there what's what's your take on Adisa
1: Isaac going to the NFL he had a good senior bowl so that's a big thing is he had a good senior bowl and everyone loves to go gaga over the senior bowl um production even though it's one week but he he looked very good against the top competition but he's looked good against the top competition in the big 10 again he goes up against some pretty good offensive tackles in in the big 10 and and so Adisa is longer. He, and this, these are the subtle things like he's got the reach. He's got the size to be a NFL defensive end kind of in the same, but he's in the same boat as job Robinson as, you know, on that line of big enough, not having extra size. Um, so the question is, he's a little bit of a leaner build. How strong is he? And going at the combine and playing as well as he did playing through contact to the quarterback, there's less of a conversation about this, but I do think for some teams that want to know how strong he is, you, you can't do squats at the combine. Like you can't do, and, and even squats just are strength. They're not explosive power necessarily. There's different ways to, va- to, to measure that value of overall strength. So I picked the broad jump. Explosive lower body power is what he needs, again, like Robinson to create that power at contact through explosive speed. So if, if he does the broad jump, does he jump out of the building? You know, does he have a, a nearly a 12 foot broad jump? He's got long levers. He could do it. He's going to be uh, 250, 255 pounds. Like he needs to be the Uber athlete in this, in these areas. I I think the 40 time is fine. He's going to have a good 40 time. I don't think it's as important as Robinson's. Um, so I think Isaac has a classic defensive end build. I don't think he is a guy you want dropping into coverage because he's more linear. He's more, framey if that makes any sense um so yeah i would say that the what i'm looking for is what is his broad jump what are those vertical and and linear explosive power metrics to give teams an idea is he stronger than 250 pounds or 255 would indicate
0: let's move on then uh let's go to curtis jacobs and i think of him as the linebacker version of adisa isaac adisa isaac was overshadowed perhaps by chop robinson at linebacker if you're a Penn State fan, you're thinking Abdul Carter first. Curtis Jacobs kind of gets lost in the shuffle sometimes. But also comparable to Adisa Isaac, he had a pretty good uh, postseason uh, Shrine Bowl game, correct?
1: hmm Yeah, and this is an area where linebacker is tough. So there's a, there's a couple of different ways we can go with this. Um, assessing Curtis as a prospect and then assessing him as an athlete so he never played exceptional in the box he never had elite tackle numbers or tackle for loss numbers when he played will he was better at sam which doesn't exist in the nfl so that's where i think we go back to he needs to be a freaky athlete to tell the nfl that he is a guy that can cover in space and be a covers linebacker which again leads us back to the 40 yard dash but Kind of like tight end, it's everything at linebacker. You have to be able to play the run. You need to be big. You need to be strong. You need to be stout. You need to be able to flip your hips and run. So coverage-wise, he's got that on film. I don't think people realize how hard it is to play the field linebacker and be productive, to do things, to get your hand on the football, to get interceptions. It's a lot of preventative. Like, I'm in this spot, so therefore the play can't go here. Or they throw a screen and you've got to go tackle at the line of scrimmage, which is not necessarily as much of an impact play as it is to get a tackle for loss in the backfield, et cetera, et cetera. So for him, I just put it down to the 40 yard dash. He needs to run in the four fives. He needs to be a freak athlete. I don't think he can run in the high four sixes and have his draft stock go up. So he has to be a guy that runs in the four fives and shows I can play in space. I can cover tight ends. I can do a bunch of different things and be a matchup weapon at the NFL level because There's still some stuff to learn about him between the tackles, even though I think he can still do that. And there's not necessarily, um, I guess I I wouldn't say that he can't do that, play between the tackles, that is.
0: Okay, in the interest of time, I'm going to group a couple players. Let's go to the cornerbacks. Daquan Hardy and Johnny Dixon, two very different players. T Frank, what, what do they need to prove at the
1: Combine? So Dixon is interesting. Uh, he's got to run fast, just like, uh, just like K- Kalen King. Uh, but in the for the sake of redundancy, I went with a vertical jump for him because there were times I saw him not get to the catch point. He's going to have to be a big physical receiver, and he did not measure in well at the Senior Bowl. He had sub thirty inch arms. He's shorter than six foot, um, just barely, but shorter than six foot. And if he's going to be a physical guy that plays in the grill of big receivers he's got to somehow make up that vertical ground so having a good vert being able to project into a certain scheme and style I think that's important and then for Daquan Hardy he's going to play in the slot he's going to be a slot only player at 5 980 pounds so that three cone drill again he has to stand out and be better than everybody else in something to be a priority for a team that wants to pick up a slot corner that you're concerned about in the run game but you know on third down can be a lockdown guy to be sticky in man coverage with two-way goes and option routes
0: for the nfl how important is it that daquan hardy could be a special teams guy for you also
1: I mean, it's important, you know, every little advantage for you is, is critical, but the NFL is not looking for punt return touchdowns as much anymore. They're looking for guys that can maybe get a first down. So 10 yards, things like that. And he can do that, but the consistency at the position, not making mistakes is also important. I think that is also in the narrative that we have to discuss given he, he had a couple of punt return touchdowns, but it's been, it took him five years, four years to get on the field to do that. So I, you know, I I try not to overweight those things, but every little efficiency and thing can matter. I don't think he's a kick return guy, so he's not going to do both. He's going to do just punts, and that is not as valuable as a guy that could do both.
0: Gotcha. But as you said, these guys are all so good. Any kind of little tiebreaker could be the difference between making a roster or not. Uh, let's go to tight end and Theo Johnson. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much it matters to the reputation that Penn State now has at that position. It seems they, they're churning out NFL tight ends year after year. What about Theo Johnson, though?
1: Yeah, so Brenton Strange went in the second round last year because of helmet scouting, in my opinion. And I love Brenton Strange. You and I have had a lot of conversations about what he can do for a team, what he can do in the run game, how he can be a multidimensional, multi-utility threat. Um, And Joey Porter Jr. went in the second round because Penn State corners have never gone in the first round. So the helmet scouting is a real bias. So Theo Johnson has that going for him. Um, But again, tight end is a freak's position at the highest end to be one of the best. You can play tight end and and have a specialized role and not be an elite player. But to be one of the greats, you have to be good at everything. So there's this thing called a relative athletic score or uh, RAS score. And uh, it measures a combination of your size and your metrics at the combine to produce one number on zero to 10. And last year, the leaders in receptions at tight end and receiving yards were all nine or better. So for Theo Johnson, the one area that I've been curious about his whole career is his agility, his three cone drill. He's got heavy feet. And so he runs fast in a linear line. He's 260 pounds. He's six foot six. He's got the full frame. But can he still turn? Can he still operate in the short area? So a three-cone drill, again, kind of like Olu, is these big, long, athletic uh, body types. Can they still produce that ability to catch the ball and then turn and get yards after the catch? So um, that's an area where I think we're going to find out a little bit more, and he might have to do more work in other areas to make up for maybe a a poorer three-cone drill.
0: Okay, let's go... uh to the offensive line again, uh, Caden Wallace, another one of these guys who was probably overshadowed at his position by a uh, fashion but kind of quietly Caden Wallace did not have a bad uh, 23
1: season with Penn state. No, he was good. I would say he was probably their second best offensive lineman. And, this is the part where I, I asked James Franklin point blank like how do you know a guy is uh, one of the most athletic guys you've ever seen if he never does it basically was was my question and you know how do you know a guy can have a fifth year breakout and he said because we've seen him do it it's just doing it more consistently and he did it more consistently last year so one of the things that I, I put down for him was the shuttle drill so that's where you stand in the middle and you run and then you go about 10 yards and then you stop and you touch the line, you go back like a basketball drill. So his, his change of direction in a quick way, because there were things on film he just couldn't do for three years. Like he couldn't get certain zone blocks because he couldn't beat the guy to his inside. He couldn't open up and beat a guy to his inside. So what are those metrics? Like, where does he do those things? Because I think from an athletic standpoint, um, you know, I, I I talked to Landon Tangwall on Monday and he said, Caden Wallace is going to jump out of the building for an offensive lineman. So there's athleticism there. There's, I think, and a secret starter in the NFL in Caden Wallace. I do think he's a guard. He's got that body type, but he's got to show that he can he can reach block and he can cut off on the backside. So that's an area where, if we're talking about from a metric standpoint, that's an area where I think he's got to he's got to perform well.
0: Okay. Okay, one last guy, and that is Hunter Norzad. Uh he was the Penn State center. He was a transfer coming in. And We don't really notice the interior linemen that often unless they get beat very badly. What are you seeing with Hunter Norzad and his NFL prospects?
1: So I think he might be the most explosive offensive lineman in a long time. I can't think of somebody else who I've seen who's more violently explosive. So kind of like Chop Robinson to get noticed, and especially I think he's a zone scheme guy. I saw him reach block three techniques that are outside of the guard. So essentially, you know, the gaps in the offensive line, there's, you know, they're numbered or they're, they're lettered. He was doing things that I haven't seen since maybe James Daniels uh, of Iowa a couple years ago, who went in the first round. So that level of athleticism, a 10 yard split, that, that explosiveness off the line, that's going to be for him. What's going to get him to stand out. Cause again, he also had a good shrine bowl. I think it was where he showed good power and anchor, So showing that athleticism at the combine could take him, you know, into a middle round prospect that teams want to draft to be a starting center eventually.
0: All right. Very good. T Frank. That is it for quarter number two. Stick around quarter number three. We take your questions and we ask T Frank. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. I'm Jim. He's T. Frank. It is time for Ask T. Frank. This is where we're going to take your questions for T. Frank. And if you want to send in a question, all you got to do is download our app, Keystone Sports. You'll see the tab for Ask T. Frank. And away you go. All right. Let's get right to it. Let's start with Dave in Bradford who says, T. Frank, I'm confused by the fact that Will Levis could not get on the field at Penn State, except in run-only situations, but somehow he's able to be a starting quarterback in the NFL where throwing the ball is all they care about. So I've got three brief questions. First, did Penn State just swing and miss on his ability to throw the ball? Second, or did Kentucky develop him into a throwing quarterback when Penn State could not? And third, is Bo Praboula just the next Will Levis? (laughs)
1: <laughs> no uh no and no on the last question will levis is a traits quarterback and bo Pribula is not a traits quarterback so I, I i the question is leading in a certain way i understand will levis didn't have a great year for the uh the titans he also got on the field because their quarterback situation was god-awful you know, Ryan Tannehill wasn't good. It wasn't like he won the starting job. They were desperately looking for something. Um, and it kind of goes to what we've talked about with Will Levis all the way to the beginning at Penn State when we saw him on the field and then when he went to Kentucky. Uh, and I I scouted him at Kentucky. I answered this question. I wrote about it at bluewhiteillustrated.com. He is ultra aggressive down the field. His turnover-worthy play percentage, according to PFF, is 4.5%. That is high. Like Once you started getting into five and six, you're unplayable because you're giving the ball to the other team too much. So my assumption is that James Franklin and the coaching staff didn't think that they could trust him to not give the ball to the other team, and Sean Clifford was the more efficient quarterback. He produces explosive plays. He's physical in the run game. He's not elusive. He runs like a fullback, but he is productive in the run game. But ultimately, were those traits better to produce more wins than Sean Clifford? And I don't know that that is accurate. Like, I I don't know that obviously the, this is the other thing. The NFL is looking for traits. And like I said uh, about the Steelers with Joey Porter jr. And you think about some of the busts they've had, they've been ultra athletic guys. They've tried to develop. Will Levis is a guy. The NFL is going to target to develop um, because he's got all of those arm strength, mobility, size, speed traits, but some guys, it just doesn't click. And The NFL took him in the second round. And I know that Sean Clifford went like in the fifth, but the way you read quarterback uh, in the NFL is if you're not a first round pick, you're not necessarily a guy they think is a lock to start. So I, I think your question about is Penn state bad at evaluating quarterbacks? No, I think that they went with a safer option in Sean Clifford that they felt like they could build an offense around that was predictable and stable. Would you have had higher highs? Sure. Um, but would you have lost certain games? Possibly, you know, games you weren't supposed to lose that Will Levis throws the ball to the other team too much. That's also a possibility. I don't I don't think Kentucky, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that they had any sort of postseason success beyond what Penn State did during his two years starting there where they went to bowl games and had a similar record. So there isn't even necessarily proof on the college level that he was a better winner than Sean Clifford.
0: The other part to this, uh, T, Frank, is I always relate things to baseball. And when you look to draft a pitcher, if a pitcher can throw at 99 miles an hour, he's going to get drafted and drafted highly. I think the yep. analogy to football is if you're a big, strong guy with a big arm, you feel like, hey, we could teach him the other stuff, just like in baseball. You can't teach a pitcher who throws 89 miles an hour to throw the ball 99. You just can't. And I think it's the same thing here uh, with quarterbacks. Is there a ceiling with that big, strong guy? That's what they saw with Will Evis. Let's go to Bruce in Wyoming who says, It seems like Kalen King took a step back last season. Would he have been better served to return for another season, T
1: Frank? You know, I don't know. I know that's now gospel, that that's true. But does, he wasn't getting any bigger, or stronger, or faster. Um, so the developing he needed to do was on the mental side, and that could all happen, you know, at the college level or in the NFL where you're getting paid to do it full time. And I know NIL changes that conversation. So I, I think it's 50-50. He could if he wanted to, he could have come back or he could go to the NFL and he seemed pretty dead set on going to the NFL. So is it valuable to have a guy that doesn't want to be there? That's, uh, you know, kind of the question of him returning for another year. The, to me, the difference would be perception. That's it. Like his physical skills are are the same. I don't think he's getting meaningfully, uh, you know, we talked about the Penn State uh, strength, strength and development program. I think, you know, he was what he was. Like a good, good football player, good athleticism. But it was never about the athleticism for him. It was about the ball production, which is for a corner, unbelievably fickle. And so I I'm not. I'm not strongly in the camp that he should have come back. I think he could have, and it would have helped if he had a good year, but it also might not have, and it might've been in the same situation, two years of bad production, and now you're not a day two pick. You might be a day three pick. Who had an anomaly of a 2022. So, you know, perception is everything, and it's a gamble in a lot of ways, not just from an injury standpoint, but from a production standpoint at corner. Uh,
0: let me translate Bruce's question for you, T. Frank. I'm a Penn State fan. We lost multiple cornerbacks. I'd like to have one back. So yeah. I think that's the way it really it, it translates. Let's go to Mike in Redding, who says, With Curtis Jacobs moving on and Abdul Carter moving to defensive end, do you see a role for Keon Wiley at linebacker for Penn State?
1: Yeah, we talked about this last week. I do, I do. Um, I'm just fascinated right now by by the fact that he's playing Will, and I've I've written about this so much over the last month or so about Tom Allen's defense over at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com and the different ways we can break it down as far as how important that position is, and Tony Rojas not playing Will doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because he is the athlete and the guy with the explosive downhill instincts and all those things to play that Will position. But who's going to play the Sam in three linebacker sets? And that's really what I think is going on this spring right now is they're they're getting Tony familiar with that position. So Kavion is going to be a role player at the will if he beats out Key on Wiley for that position. And I think that's how, to me, we'll see in a couple of weeks here, but to me, that's how the, the board is starting out for me at Will linebacker is Wiley and Keys are going to be the guys that kind of play it on base downs against heavy fronts. And then Tony is going to be a third down guy at will. And a two linebacker set guy at will who we might ultimately see play more at that position Um, and kind of like Curtis Jacobs talking about him a little bit earlier where he splits time and it's going to be about what is the best defense for Penn State and how many snaps does he get out in the field and how many does he get in the box because that's going to be what they determine as far as who's playing. Uh, and and who's on the field because those safeties they've got to conversate they've got something to say about this as well. So it, you're not taking Tony Rojas off the field. You're just not going to be doing that and leaving on as much as I think KV on Keys has potential to be a great linebacker. Tony Rojas has shown it. And is is as proven as you can be after one year. So I I think that he's going to be a guy that plays in in base packages and four three packages. He plays that well position, but the the playmaking aspects. I think Tony Rojas that's still his job.
0: And you know what? When you talk about asking if a player is going to, I how do they put it, have a role at Penn State at least for the last couple of years defensively? I've always said it's not like there's eleven starters. There's 15, 18, even 20 guys who get significant playing time depending on down and distance and, uh, you know, situational. So you could have a role without being the lead guy on this defense. Let's let's go to Alan in Tamakwa who says, should they have made the shift of Abdul Carter sooner? Was there also some kind of education in having him play linebacker first?
1: So if you're moving him to defensive end earlier, when does he play when you've got Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson there? So that I, 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 don't, I don't understand necessarily the idea of moving him to defensive end when you've got two, as we talked about, elite athletes that bring a similar thing. Um, I, how do I put this? I think that it's, it's a mutual decision. To move to defensive end, it's beneficial for Abdul. They need his skill set there. But if they didn't need his skill set there, we would be having a different conversation. Um, playing him at linebacker gives you a 250-pound linebacker. That's, a, that's an advantage in the run game. Getting him to play better against the pass was uh, an attainable goal. I don't know that he'd be an elite pass protector at any point, but he could be good. And, and so, you know, I think that these things don't happen in a vacuum. That's the main thing I take from this. And no, I don't think the shifted to defensive end should have happened earlier. I think it happened when it happened.
0: I think you make a great point. And I've always talked about you get as much talent on the field as you possibly can when you have two really good defensive ends. And by the way, a third one who wasn't too bad yeah. either, you know, where's the need? You want Abdul Carter on the field, obviously. But I also want Chop Robinson on the field. I also want Adisa Isaac on the field. And I think we saw that sometimes even when uh, would Chop Robinson move around? Would they get three defensive ends on the field? Well, when you have yeah. three really good ones, it's probably a good decision to do that.
1: He also the rushed the passer. There, Frank. He also rushed the passer a hundred times as an off-ball linebacker last year, which was the most of any pure off-ball linebacker. So it wasn't like they didn't use him in the in as a pass rusher. It's just now he's going to be playing the run from the line of scrimmage and and pure you know coming up. We've talked all about this in the last couple of episodes and some of the things he's going to have to learn how to do. Um. So yeah, I, I think that it, it's a move that they they made. They didn't have to make it though. I think that that to me that's the important thing here is they didn't have to make it. This is a choice by Carter and uh, Penn State?
0: It is to, in his best interest, as you said, that's where, as an NFL player, that's where he's probably uh, best situated and can make a lot of money doing that. But as a Penn State fan, T. Frank, I'm looking at what you were talking about. There's a need now at defensive end when you lose the two guys you lost, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, and the skill set that you lost of that fastball speed off the edge, you've got a lot of guys that are physical and strong and can play through tackles, but you always want to have that guy who, you know, and deny does this and I don't want to, I don't want to mitigate it too much, but deny has the ability to get quick wins where he wins with his hands. He wins with his length and his power, and he can just make tackles irrelevant, but you do want to have a guy that has speed in case, you know, he faces a guy that, is equally talented to him so just having those balanced threats of style and ability is important
0: okay that is it for quarter number three and ask t frank stick around we've got another quarter to go stay tuned hello and welcome back to the keystone kickoff show it's quarter number four he's t frank um jim had a Good show so far, T. Frank. We talked combined. We took questions from listeners. Let's move on. Uh, Penn State had a, another commitment last week. We didn't talk about it last week on, on our show. I'm not sure what day it was that he committed. Let's hit it now, though. Uh, Lyric Samuel, a wide receiver, six foot four. That's the good yep. number, T. Frank. You like to see that? Weight, 185 pounds. Not quite as good. We'd probably want to put a few pounds on him, uh, depending on what service you look at. He's either a three or a four star. He's out of New York. What can you tell us about him?
1: Well, first off, he's he's 170 pounds. He's not 185, so he's even he's even thinner than <laughs> than what you said there. He and when you watch him on film, he looks like a basketball player. Um, so. That's an area to start like I normally we start with the positives and then we get to the areas of development. But I think it's just too obvious being, um, you know, six, four hundred and seventy pounds and playing like it. I think that's the important thing is is play strength needs to get better and size needs to get better. But the good news is Penn State likes these these bodies that can grow and they can develop as as we talked about in the first segment about the combine. They can grow in the right way, put the right mass on them and get them to the level that they need to be because they have the potential to do so. And that's the good thing about Lyric Samuel is he eats uh, he's 170 pounds and he can run in the four fives. So he's 6'4 and fast. And you know, from a potential standpoint, that's one of the reasons that you you mentioned a couple of the different uh, scouting services. Uh, We put him in front of our scouting guys at on three, and they made him a 91 overall, which is a a strong four-star. That's not even like, you know, we're going to rate him as maybe a a high three-star, low four-star. That's like this dude is going to be a dude because he's tall, he's long, he's got normally – the way I phrase this in his scouting report is normally guys – who have his size, you know, from a frame perspective, uh, the Penn State recruits at receiver, they're actually tight ends. So, you know, the fact that he's going to be a receiver at 6'4 with massively long arms means that he is, you know, potentially the full package. But then that comes down to the development side and getting stronger and playing bigger and doing some of the things that you need to do to be a complete receiver.
0: You know, it's interesting, too. We talked earlier about the... The quarterback. I use the analogy of having the 99 mile an hour fastball. You could teach the other stuff. You could put weight on a guy, but you can't make him taller. So if he's starting at six foot four, you you can't uh, you can't put that height on in in the weight room. He's also out of New York. uh, T Frank. Not a lot of uh, top caliber football players are coming out of New York. So is there overall, because of that, a bias against New York State players versus, say, a player coming from Florida? Or is it even the reverse because, uh, you know, a thinner herd, easier to go to the top of the class when you're from a state like New York?
1: So he's also not just from New York. He's from the Bronx. hes I'm sorry. He's from Brooklyn. Excuse me. I had that very wrong. I apologize. He's Erasmus Hall is in Brooklyn. <laughs> Uh, so he's, he's a New York city football player, which is also not New York state and kind of a, the further filtration of what you're talking about. So, um, yeah, New York is not known for football, uh, in the same way, but you know, when you find a guy who's good enough athletically to play football for Penn state, then it doesn't necessarily matter. And Penn state has done a good job. I think Ty Blanding is, is an example of somebody they pulled from a New York city school, um, recently that a, a guy that James Franklin called out a couple of times is I don't think we're talking enough about how good he is in the class of 2023. So if you're good enough and you know the population density of New York City produces enough people that eventually you're going to find a lyric Samuel and a tide landing. So um Caleb Artis I think is another guy who came from from that area. So being selective doesn't mean uh taking everybody from that area but the ones that are that stand out they do stand out in, in that way. So I I, I think that it, it's, it's for Penn State, it, it's an individual recruiting uh, decision, and, and you, you look at it without that bias that you're talking about. But I do think the perception is fair. Like, from a national and a layperson perspective, you don't think of New York and New York City for football. Uh, and Penn State will go literally anywhere and find somebody from anywhere to play football for them.
0: All right, T. Frank, let's shift gears to the current team and you've been doing a series in Blue-White Illustrated. Uh, you talked about it being your optimism series, looking at some of the positions, and recently you looked at the safety position. Well, yep. I have to look closely to be pretty optimistic about this group of players, T. Frank.
1: Yeah, it's tough when you've got three guys that you think are uh, really good starters in the Big Ten and some that are going to be superstars at the NFL. So, uh, yeah, the the, pe- the I think the main thing is, when you look at the skill set of these players, and this is kind of what I was trying to encapsulate by put, pulling different stats to show what I saw on film is um, they have a combination of skills, especially Jalen Reed and Kevin Winston. They, they can both do anything. They can play the run and they can play the pass. So from Tom Allen's defense, which the point is deception, subterfuge changing the picture at the post snap and, unexpected safety rotations. If both of these guys can cover deep and both of these guys can play in the box and both of them have some skill in man coverage. Now you've got a too high safety system that can do anything. And the most dangerous ones are the ones that have the versatility at safety to complement a strong pass rush and everything else you need in the basics of a good defense. So I think this is a match made in heaven with especially these two guys. And then when you throw in Zaki Wheatley and his, um, history as a gambler and a guy that can jump routes and get the ball in this defense the qualities of these players is a perfect fit for what Tom Allen wants to do and i it's going to be fascinating to see what iteration he comes up with given that we had the conversation about the linebacker position and how do which one of those three players are going to be on the field and does abdul carter have flexibility to play you know, a hybrid role next year. There's a lot of versatility in this defense, and it's going to be interesting to see what a creative mind like Tom Allen comes up with.
0: The guy that stands out for me is K.J. Winston, and where he first stood out to me was his ability to get in the box and make tackles. I think the White game last year, he made a couple of really impressive plays that stood out to me and he did nothing during the season to change that opinion. But you uh, brought up something, and I want to make sure I read this correctly. Uh, You said with the stats, K.J. Winston didn't miss a tackle last season. Is that correct?
1: Yep, that's as as far as what I saw in the data. He did not miss a tackle in the pass game or the run game. Um, So that's an impressive stat. One of, I think, only six safeties in the nation who were starting quality, like number of snaps. That did that. So, having the ability to be absolutely rock solid is a huge thing. Like, starting with not making mistakes is massive.
0: I want to relate this to the conversation you were having again with the linebackers. You alluded to it a little bit. How about expanding on it? Where on that third down, when theoretically a linebacker comes out, it's okay, who's the extra player? We saw that where Daquan Hardy was used, it was a third cornerback. So Mm -hmm. what's it going? The question is, who's that player going to be? And it could be from several different positions. One of it seems like safety would be a natural to have that extra safety in the game because you have three very good ones and they all are pretty good at everything.
1: So that's going to be the major determination for this particular defense In this upcoming season, you think back to 2022 and Tig Brown did something like this, but they always had Johnny Dixon and Daquan Hardy um, as guys that can play in sub packages. So you look at the cornerback roster right now and you like the talent, but it's short on experience and it's short on guys who, you know, can do it. So this spring, I think it's fair to say the safeties have an advantage of who's going to be in those third down packages. There's still going to be a nickel corner like you're not going to go into a season season without that player but could a safety do that most of the time do you want to go to dime where you have a, a third safety and a third corner on the field a lot of this is going to be matchup dependent so you're not going to have an a firm answer of yes or no on all of these things um so that's going to be the major determination and then i think from there the question is not just about sub packages but what's your base defense and this is a, a i wrote a long article about this centering around tony rojas but the The philosophical question is, what is your base defense? Because, you know, you can go sub package all the time and you can have a bunch of different variations, as you mentioned, having uh, 12, 13, 14 guys that have starting level reps, but you have to start somewhere just like the receiver conversation. They can sure they can play multiple positions, but you're not having just receiver on your depth chart. You have to have some sort of determination about where these guys are starting and what's their base home position. Philosophically, your defense has to have a starting point. So that's gonna be the conversation with the safeties. Is there somebody good enough to play the run that you can use in a multifaceted way that is that can that can play coverage and do those unexpected things we talked about? So that's gonna be the big conversation. And you know, I don't think based on the personnel that it's going to be a four two defense with a slot corner. And and I know p- fans are excited about King Mack. I don't think he's ready just yet, you know, to be a guy who does something like that it's going to be those three safeties we talked about. And that's really the determination is how many snaps do they see versus how many three linebacker sets. And another thing that we talked about a little bit, but I want to expand on again is the, the big 10 is changing. Wisconsin runs a spread offense. You know, you're not playing Michigan this year. You don't have Iowa on the schedule. So some of these big bruising, we have to many Diaz has to play three linebackers against Minnesota. And suddenly his four, two defense isn't a four, two defense anymore. That's coming with this particular Big Ten playing uh, USC. Um, Eric Biennemi being the offensive coordinator, at UCLA bringing, I'm assuming, a pro style offense. You have to you have to be multifaceted. You have to be multidimensional and getting these guys uh, ready to do that, I think, means to me in the long term. Maybe you're not playing three linebackers because you want that athleticism on the field.
0: And T. Frank, when you start describing this, all I keep seeing in my head is KJ Winston as a guy mm-hmm. who can play safety. He's a defensive back, but he's just so capable in the box. I almost feel like he plays like a linebacker once you put him in the box.
1: My only problem with that is I feel like it limits him. <laughs> I feel like that is a can can be a reductive role for a linebacker. Remember, I, I said with um with Curtis Jacobs, like it is a the Sam linebacker. It's kind of a limited position because you are playing a space that is. Either you deny the pass or you give up the pass for a short gain, and it doesn't give you the opportunity as many times to make plays. So he, in that situation, to me, has to also be able to play man coverage and be able to do a couple of different things, which I think he can do. But the NFL then will look at him as, oh, he played as a box safety, so we're just going to play him as a box safety. Um, He has to be able to play in deep coverage. Like The the system has to be flexible enough that he can do everything, because that's when you really unlock that box ability is when he is there unexpectedly and cleaning up.
0: All right. Very good, T. Frank. That is going to have to be it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show.
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?